Hey, we get it. You don't want to be hearing a progressive commercial right now. So let us tell you something you do want to hear. You are intelligent. You make all the right decisions. You were smart before smart was cool, and you made it cool again. You have a wealth of knowledge, and you are so very clever. <laughs> I bet you already knew I was going to say that, you genius. There. Don't you feel better? You'll also feel better when you hear you could save big when you switch to progressive. But I'm pretty sure you already knew that, too. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. HD Smartcast. You are listening to a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Bani, a quick follow-up question to that: What regulatory changes do you see, and obstacles do you see uh, in this transition phase that we're talking about? As we know, I mean, education is on a where it's the government, central government, which has a wider policy, but you also have the state governments in, and uh, there have been varying signals we've seen over the last six months, particularly about uh, screen time and what have you. So, uh, you know, broadly, just you mentioned, gave some, but where do you, where are the next, what are the next steps here? Because you have one chief minister saying, I want to do this, and then the pandemic is over, and then what happens then? So, could you just shed some light on this? Uh, yeah. Um, so clearly, I believe that uh, this model is here to stay. Um, the blended learning that we've spoken about will have various nuances in each of the states. Uh, I think it's a fair debate to have that, you know, uh, what is the impact on uh, on the technology uh, in terms of which age group of students are we, uh, you know, impacting? Uh, how does it impact them? The models that we should, uh, we should uh, adopt. And uh, the debate had to happen. I think it's a healthy debate to have. And out of that, the positives that have come out is that, you know, there is obviously more thinking in terms of let's research some of these. Uh, there is enough global data available to say it positively impacts learning outcomes if done in a blended learning model. If we also bring in, you know, elements of uh, how do you make it a wholesome day for the student? Uh, so with two, uh, you know, two children in the system, uh, my own two children in the system, it's very clear to me that a primary school uh, child will have a different set of needs versus a secondary school and then the senior secondary. Uh, and what is really important for us to learn fairly quickly uh, is to not go into the whole, uh, you know, uh, debate on the negatives of technology, but I am trying to understand that how do we make it uh, and adapt it to India? How do we make it our own? Uh, you know, and some schools and some education institutions and art systems are doing a phenomenal job. The fact that we are starting the day, uh, you know, with an assembly, with yoga, giving children breaks in between, engaging with arts and dance. Uh, I think that's that's great. Uh, I don't think we knew of that at the beginning. It was thought of as video conferencing is equal to learning and online learning. But that's definitely not the truth. Uh, you know, what we need to think about is synchronous and asynchronous sessions. Uh, we, we meet each other and we engage as, you know, classes and teachers and, and student peers. But we also go back and think about assignments. How do we actually, you know, enable that child to take something out of it, be creative, and then give it back to the, to the teacher? So the virtual classroom shift uh, means that there's a pedagogical shift. That also means that, you know, we need to blend uh, with the appropriate set of time uh, that we need to spend online. How do we actually make it more engaging? How do we pause? How do we assess? 
Um, so like I said, I'm very, very optimistic that we know that there are the positives uh, on learning outcomes and we should focus on those and create a model for India. Question for Raghav. Uh, yeah, I, I, another a question for Raghav. You know, you talked about how corporate learnings will move uh, online and I agree with that. Uh, by and large, a lot of the online e-education firms we are seeing, are of course, trying to take tutorials online. And uh, we are getting negative reports from the usual quotas of the world where right now things are bad. How solid do you think that disruption will be when things come back to normal? Uh, so if I understood the question, you're talking about uh, test prep as the segment. Is that correct? Correct. Uh, quite frankly, I don't know. I don't look at that space at all. Uh, uh, it's not a space that I uh, uh, I have an informed uh, point of view uh, on. So uh, I'm happy to talk about what might happen in corporate L&D whenever you come to that question, but I don't think I have a point of view on this specific uh, space. OK, sure, sure. I'm happy to take um, up that question. Yeah, Sarvesh, I was going to come to you. Yeah, I think uh, you know when you think of it, uh, that uh, shift from offline to online was already happening, uh, you know, as I was saying earlier. Uh, what COVID has done is accelerated, uh, you know, that trend of growth, uh, which was any which way is happening. So I think, uh, you know, from that perspective, uh, you know, when things sort of start going back to normal and the physical, you know, the sort of offline activities start resuming, uh, you know, I think we will continue to see, uh, uh, you know, the growth in online that we are seeing today. And the one big reason is the value, uh, you know, that an online player is able to provide, uh, you know, in the ecosystem today. So one uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, you're able to deliver better quality and the fact that you're doing it online, uh, you know, there's an inherent business model advantage uh, where you can actually offer it at a lower cost uh, than, uh, you know, what an offline player was charging. Uh, so in some sense, it's both, uh, you know, better and cheaper. Uh, what COVID has done is accelerated that trend. Having said that, uh, will the entire market, uh, you know, move, uh, move online? Probably not. What we are seeing today is, for example, there are offline tutors. Uh, and you know these are small individual tutors who are running their business practices. They are coming online, uh, and you know they are using a bunch of tools. So you know starting with tools like Google and Zoom, uh, but then there are you know startups which are also enabling them to offer more than that. So how do I manage my attendance? How do I manage my payments? Uh, are there other products that I can use as part of my learning process? Uh, you know in order to deliver effectively online. So I think one uh, you know there is that shift that will also happen. The offline players itself will adopt technology. Uh, and I think what we'll see is one, there's a completely online world, uh, you know, which is what we are sort of seeing today. Uh, and then there will be a blend of offline and, and online uh, where the offline player in some segment, in some sense, will uh, augment, uh, you know, their experience and their market uh, by using some of the advantages that an online tool brings. Anushika, uh, where do you see this, when things get back to normal, where do you see your, your website uh, standing so, up? Coming to or extended to Sarvesh point, uh, everything is gonna bounce back, but that won't be back to normal. This is the new normal. We are not going to get back to what we were doing. This is what it is, and it is going to go upwards only. It's like whatever is happening with us, it is happening for some improvement. As uh, Sarvesh said, there will be uh, quality improvement for sure. The prices will also go up and down. That will also be out there. But the market share, uh, according to me, will not be uh, defined by those things. 
the market share will be determined more on uh, you know what is the experience we are able to provide and how we are able to provide that because uh, so far whatever we have seen is seen as the equation of uh, education is like learning plus teaching which means that teacher will have the content they will deliver it student will grab that content learn it which is equal to uh, education so far with this is what have been taught and told to us but is that really true is the question like is there everything in the equation or is there something missing is the thing that we need to really think that whether this equation is correct or not and coming to uh, what are the opportunities that this uh, pandemic has provided the whole ed sector is uh, you know this pandemic and this time has changed everything from kindergarten to phd it's not just about uh, secondary school or college student or undergrad students when i say that everything has been changed from kindergarten to phd i meant that it is for students and for educators too so now um, you know the survival or uh, the upward movement or the backward movement or downward movement is completely dependent on how quickly we are able to adapt these things and how quickly we are able to upskill as a student and as an educator too because in order to uh, get the information right to the student educators need to upskill themselves That's so true. that uh, what i would say that you know like we will continue to move the way we are doing assuming that this is the new normal and anything that will happen after covid or post covid is the continuation of this new normal itself there is no going backwards great anshika thank you so much uh, we all discussed the national education policy and we've all seen that uh, raghav i want to ask you first and then i'll move on to the other panelists uh there's a lot of emphasis on vocational courses in the new education policy and also lateral migration between subjects and courses how do you see your organization plays to take advantage of that of course we'll move into the new education policy in some time but uh, is there a strategy that you would be working on uh, because vocational is not something that we can actually do online so uh, your comments yeah. on that yeah so from the uh aspect of the new education policy the latter part is quite relevant to what you asked which is the ability to move laterally across different uh, different uh, areas of study you know uh, we've all experienced in india it's been a very fixed kind of a uh, way that we've approached education so far right i i studied mechanical engineering and even if i wanted to take something in music or something else i could not have done that in the country so far but what we are already seeing on the coursera platform in uh, you know in india is many students are coming to coursera and taking content which is outside of their core domain so you know somebody who is studying mechanical engineering wants to study uh, uh, a still career relevant topic like data science they are able to take that or somebody who is studying liberal arts wants to take you know something in the area of computer science they are able to take that so that already is a desire which many students have had and i think the new education policy now enables that to happen and as and when the execution plan is you know put out by the respective states we will see how the execution is happening but i think this is something that all of us would have wanted as students and uh, i think a platform like coursera is well set to be able to enable students to do this what i would call multidisciplinary learning 
so to say great thank you uh, raghav sarvesh if you could help me also understand in, in addition to that question what is there for an investor in in the new education policy are there certain regulations that uh, that would be brought in that would uh, be an impediment for you as an investor to invest or are, are there uh, facilitating uh, options that would be looking at through the uh, new policy i think uh, you know the policy opens up uh, several new areas of uh, you know opportunities for us so you know i spoke about life skills uh, you know when you think of it you know life skills as a concept is something at omidya network you know we we've been sort of you know investing behind uh, you know there's a not for profit organization called dream a dream uh, you know that works with several state governments in helping them implement uh, you know life skills uh, you know the public school system uh, i think what it will do is uh, you know help it uh, broad base uh, and introduce life skills across the ecosystem be it the private school space be it the after school space uh you know nazar said i think those skills are uh, you know extremely critical to sort of survive uh, and thrive in the uh, in the 21st century so i think one that opens up uh, you know a lot of opportunities and we are already seeing that uh, you know even before the policy was announced we are already seeing a lot of startups who are not building and going beyond academics uh, you know and building uh, you know for uh, you know for these skills and i think uh, this will only give more impetus uh, you know to startups that are operating in the space um again lot of impetus on the okay. on the early it's a segment that uh, there's a lot of work required uh, you know in the country so i think that again opens up uh, you know significant uh, you know opportunities for us uh, coding uh, you know which is where whitehead junior started and really uh, you know that was a you know first uh, you know company that really uh, you know did a meaningful sort of uh, you know progress as such in terms of bringing coding uh, you know to a large large number of people uh, but by you know sort of uh, introducing it in the school curriculum itself Uh, you know this will ensure that uh, you know a lot more many more students are actually benefiting uh, you know in learning coding so i see lots of you know new opportunities uh, you know that are coming up uh, you know as a result of this policy great uh, survey thank you so much bani coming to you on that you've already mentioned uh, the uh, the activities that students would be involved in at school you know the the prayer the yoga the art and culture and all of that but with uh, regard to the new education policy there's also a lot of emphasis on which vocational education from uh, uh, early on plus the fact that uh, students should be allowed to be themselves where does google see itself in this new education policy yeah um so uh, the two main takeaways that i would have from the uh, national education policy is uh, about you know changing the way that students would learn and second would be developing skills for future uh and that's uh, you know across again all segments of education and as google uh, our endeavor is that we focus on three important pillars and try and make it as scalable as possible uh using the internet so one is of course the platform itself like i said how do we actually engage in both a, a synchronous and an asynchronous mode uh you know we have seen uh, that google classroom has been adopted uh, not only in india but worldwide you know with 140 million uh, users and most of them coming online in the last couple of months because of this online learning surge so clearly our role would be to provide those scalable platform to uh, ensure that the second pillar which is more centered around access on getting internet access at affordable pricing with devices for both teachers and students would be an important pillar because that's that has to be addressed uh, in a country like india and third for us would be the content pillar itself again that's an uh, ever evolving uh, space it's very very interesting across k to 12 and higher education how 
to be ensure that not only are the vocational skills being uh, taught but i would also extend that further in terms of you know how youtube as a platform uh, would evolve for learning how we will have relevant content in indian languages that we've already uh, invested in how do we develop skills uh, across the board on that and again all the way from school education where we are trying to do project based learning coding tinkering uh, to actually developing uh, vocational skills um, at the senior secondary as well as the higher education space so all of those will will in some way converge uh, from what is happening uh, what is available uh, as fantastic global content uh contextualizing it making it relevant for indian in indian languages uh we also want a huge set of creators uh and edtech players to come in and and you know be part of this journey because that is where it will be very very exciting for the user because they will have more choices uh they will have some of the best content that is available across these uh, skill sets okay great anshika um, uh given uh, we are discussing uh, vocational how where do you see your uh, platform coming in and uh, giving students an opportunity to actually explore that segment so uh, with the introduction of a new education policy and uh, what global shala is already doing i see our contribution with one major uh, focus the main difference between uh, knowledge and experiential learning so so far uh, before this new education policy everything was like you can read how to swim and you will be able to swim this is what was assumed but now uh, where the more focus is yeah you can see what techniques are to swim but actually you need to go into that water to see how that works so it is now more about experience and uh, when we talk about how global shala can do it uh, as our whole global shala is based on four e's which is experience explore engage and um, learn and earn so for this particular thing uh, it is not only limited to experience it is all about how global shala can empower students and educators to um, ensure that they are empowered enough so that they can express and explore you know express their creativity what they have and keep on exploring what are the other options they have when we talk about vocational learning as um, you know we already have been discussing that you know people can change their streams can learn arts with science and all these things for this particular thing learning happens at every level now it will be actually uh, the creativity or the innovation of the student or educators how they are putting it together to use it's not like if i'm a good swimmer i cannot or ride a horse it's up to me how i'm using those skills so um that's again the key like how we can make sure that all the knowledge the person is having can be put into experiential learning is where uh, global shala see its main role to push it further okay thank it's you thank you all about yeah um uh, raghav uh, back to you uh, you know there's been talk about skilling and various job requirements that are coming through the courses that people are seeking on your platform could you give us a could you give us a sense of what exactly in the recent months uh, where exactly users have been what have they been seeking really and what does this tell us about uh, the job market that we are seeing now 
Sure, sure. So um, about a month ago, we released a report called the Global Skills uh, Index. And this is a global report. This was the second edition of this report. And what we do as a part of this report is we look at what you know millions of individuals around the world are uh, learning and also what's happening in the uh, thousands of companies who are training their employees on our platform. And uh, before I answer your question about what's happening at a skilling level, one of the headline um, pieces of insight that we put out was we found that industries and companies with more skilled talent, especially in technology skills, have actually seen a higher stock return and less disruption from COVID-19. So we actually plotted you know, stock returns and because these companies are on our platform, we are able to measure what level of skills their employees have. And there's a direct correlation between technology skills and you know, uh, higher stock returns. And this happened across 10 different uh, industries. The other thing which we found, which I think is uh, a little sobering to call out, but it is important to call out from an India perspective, is on the Coursera platform, most of the content that, or most of the skills that working professionals are building are in the broad domains of business, computer science, and data science. And because, again, there are so many people from around the world, we benchmarked 60 countries and said, where do these 60 countries stand in terms of skills in business, computer science, and data science? And India comes in the lower part of the uh, ranking. So India is like 34 on business out of 60, 40 on computer science out of 60, and I think 51 or 52 on uh, data science. So it's quite sobering to know that actually there's a lot of work that still needs to be done when it comes to the quality of skills that we have in the working population. And then the third thing we found was that, especially in the recent uh, you know, six months, a lot of the investment in time, money has gone into, I would say, three broad skills. These are broadly in the domains of uh, digital, data, and then also personal health. The, in, the number of people, and these are not just healthcare professionals, but the number of people who've been taking courses related to understanding COVID, understanding their personal well-being, understanding also topics like psychology and you know resilience has been massive on, on our platform in the last six months. So I'd say that's some of what we've seen recently. Okay. Uh, that's reassuring to hear that there is skilling happening. Sarvesh, I wanted to ask you about affordability uh, in an Indian context. It keeps on coming up as one of the factors uh, and uh, it's something we need to tackle. So how about taking that on, Sarvesh? Sure. No, obviously people are saying you're looking at a very small segment of the market finally, which then would face, I mean, I don't need to tell you that uh, even in the top schools in Delhi, people are not paying fees uh, because they think they're not getting value. So once the tide turns, it could turn for everyone, right? So it's a, it's a broad question, not relating to now. Right now, everything's flying high. Yeah, I think there are three segments and I'll, you know, let's say when you stick with the K-12 segment itself, I think there are three segments that we we'll need to solve for, you know, from this perspective. Uh, you know, one, there is a school segment within school, there is a private school and there's a government school. Uh, and I think both of those will require, uh, you know, different approaches. And then there is an after school, uh, you know, which will require a, a different approach itself. Uh, you know, when you think about the, you know, the public school context, I think uh, more than the affordability, I think the question, because, you know, there the government is a pair. 
right? Uh, so there really the biggest question is a device penetration itself. Uh, you know, and that has come up as a as a big challenge as we've seen across uh, you know the different organizations that uh, you know we end up working with or in the ecosystem itself. Uh, you know, in terms of uh, you know you know most certainly the kids do not have a device. Uh, there are times even the parents do not have a device. If they do have a device, do they have a smartphone? Not not always the case, right? So I think one if you want to introduce edtech, uh, you know, one is inside schools. You know, then children have to be back. But in the current context, how do you solve for the you know the device issue? Uh, I think is something that needs to be solved for because I think there are solutions out there. Uh, you know, we have our own organizations where we've invested in both for-profit and not-for-profit that are catering to that segment. And there are several others in the ecosystem who are building for that segment. So I think the solution exists. There can be called the device problem, uh, and which is where I think organizations are taking, uh, you know, innovative approaches and using philanthropic capital, uh, you know, to try and put a device, uh, you know, over there. So I think one, that is something that you will need to solve for. Uh, then when it comes to, let's say, the private school segment, uh, there when you think of it, uh, you know, in the high income category or even in the mid income category, I think there it's not an issue. I think, again, there's a similar issue on the low fee private school category. Uh, which is really the largest, uh, you know, segment again when it comes to the private school segment, uh, which is where about 90% of our children actually go to the affordable private school segment. And I would say again, there is a, uh, you know, there is a device, uh, you know, issue that needs to be solved for over there uh, in the context of, uh, you know, learning at home. Uh, I would say it's somewhat, uh, you know, better than, uh, let's say, a child who's going to a government school, where in a lot of these cases, at least the parent does have a smartphone. Uh, and so in that context, uh, uh, you know, you can leverage the you know parent smartphone to then uh, you know reach out to these children. And there, I would say we are uh, you know seeing solutions who are sort of trying to do that. Uh, and these are solutions who are uh, you know catering to schools, uh, reaching out to them, and then offering them a bunch of uh, you know sort of uh, solutions on top of that, which could be content, you know, which could be assignments. Uh, so I think that uh, that definitely is happening. Um, and again, as I said, a lot more uh, you know work which is required on that. But I would say uh, it's a problem that is uh, you know starting to get solved. Uh, the third, you know, which is the after-school segment, uh, and which is where uh, you know a lot of the traction that you see today in terms of the test prep uh, players in the K-12 space. Uh, you know, a lot of them in the in the high income or the you know, in the mid-income category. Uh, and there, really, how do you build a solution that can scale, uh, you know, to the lower income and the uh, you know the lower middle income category, which what we you know call as the next half billion, uh, you know, as part of our India network, uh, you know, India investment thesis. Uh, there, you'll require a completely, I would say, different approach uh, in order to reach out to that segment, uh, where it's a it's a question of one, how do you contextualize the product to provide assisted learning, uh, you know, being through doubt resolution, being through live learning. Uh, you know, so because the students in some sense, uh, you know, an asynchronous environment, uh, you know, doesn't completely work for them. So how do you provide that, uh, you know, in a low bandwidth environment? I think that is something, you know, one needs to solve for. Uh, there is a language component over there, uh, which is how do you provide vernacular language content, you know, given the schools that, uh, you know, these students are going at. Uh, uh, so I think that is something that you need to solve for, for how do you, uh, you know, build multilingual content. Uh, and the third is the, you know, the sales and pricing strategy itself. Uh, where how could you offer modular, uh, you know, courses, uh, you know, to these students as opposed to buying one large package uh, and which effectively brings down, uh, you know, the pricing. Uh, so there are organizations like, you know, one of our companies called Outnut, uh, where a significant part of their population is actually coming from tier two, three, four cities. 60% uh, of their students have actually come online for the first time. Uh, you know, and this is really the, you know, the population that we're talking about. So there are, there is, uh, you know, work, I think, okay. which is happening in that segment. And as I said, 
these are the areas that now entrepreneurs need to start building for because uh, this in some sense represent the, the growth opportunities going forward. Okay, great. Uh, I, we're nearly out of time. I, I wanted to do some follow-up questions on, on this. Uh, but uh, briefly, you know, with uh, can we have a one line each from all of you on on everyone saying this is the golden sector now. This is really where you probably see profitability first from an investment point of view. And uh, where do you, is there any risk factor that you see? Uh, and uh, do you see this, this boom that we are seeing right now continue, uh, you know, over the medium term, starting with Raghav, then can each one of us can take I'd say, I'd say the risk is largely as uh, online education deepens, the risk is, uh, how much of content can be in the vernacular languages and till where all will we get proper bandwidth penetration so that some of this online education can be delivered seamlessly. I think that's the limitation to my mind currently. Okay. Bani? Yeah, uh, so I would uh, I would actually address the, the last question that you had in terms of affordability as well. Uh, I would say that uh, the new models that are emerging, the connected models that are emerging are uh, much more affordable. We ourselves as Google have seen the total cost of ownership over a period of three years is actually, uh, you know, 60% lower uh, for education institutions. Uh, what's really important is that this new model brings in more accountability. This will bring in more transparency. We will be able to have data that links back to learning outcomes. So that's the, the positive change that we're going to see. Uh, the what is really important is that we follow through and make it a sustainable model and for that uh, the second point will be access uh, is going to be important so we have you know one of the lowest uh, you know data pricing in the world but we need to ensure that every child uh, not only has a requisite content reaching them but in the right mode um, so overall, I would definitely uh, would bet on a more blended learning model, more investments, more bold decisions uh, happening both from the government and the private sector. Thank you. Anushika? So uh, coming back to summarizing it in one part, uh, as per uh, what I think, it is not about uh, content and delivery like those play an important role we need medium and equipments that is for sure but ultimately pricing affordability who will sustain who will face a boom everything depend upon experience like i can give a quick example over it uh, you watch movie in theater also on your tv also prime also netflix you know everywhere but you know that you have willingness to pay or that is completely based on what experience are you getting. So after bandwidth and equipments, the major thing that will be, you know, uh, deciding whether the person should even push themselves to get the equipments of bandwidth is about experience. If they are able to uh, get a better experience out of it, if they are able to take it as a learning instead of a burden on them, they will definitely find out a way how to get bandwidth at equipments. So overall, uh, the major challenge that we will be facing in coming years or uh, in coming months will not be exactly about content and delivery because we have world-class experts making content for us, like be it any language. It will be all about how much we are able to give it as an experiential learning experience for them. 
so that they do it and then learn it. So that will be uh, okay. my take on. Okay, great. Sarvesh, uh, quick words, please. We are out of time now. Just I think uh, you know the most important thing uh, with all the solutions that are you know getting built right now and expanding. I think the focus has to be on outcomes. Uh, so how do you measure outcomes? Whether the child is actually benefiting and learning well, whether the teacher is able to teach well. How do you measure it and how do you communicate it? I think that's going to be extremely critical. Uh, you know, as we think about building effective solutions, uh, so that we're actually improving quality, uh, which is essentially what we are. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you all. This has been a stellar panel. I hope to meet uh, some of you uh, with over a cup of coffee in happier times. Uh, thank you all. And uh, thank you, Kalpana. Thank you, Sumit. Thank you so wow. much, everyone. This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. Hey, we get it. You don't want to be hearing a progressive commercial right now. So let us tell you something you do want to hear. No one is funnier than you. People laugh just thinking about the things you've said. I'm laughing at one of them right now. Coworkers repeat your jokes at the office, but they're never as good as when you tell them and shame on them for trying. There. Don't you feel better? You'll also feel better knowing you could save when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. <laughs> Although I'm sure you'd have a funnier way to say that. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers bundle discount not available in all states or situations.